to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. Clarence Jordan was a man of unusual abilities and commitment. You probably wouldn't agree with everything that he believed or everything he did, but he certainly did some great things. You might be familiar with his work to establish what was known as Koinonia Farm and his connection to what later became Habitat for Humanity. You might also be familiar with his writing called the Cotton Patch Version of the Gospel. He had two PhDs, one in agriculture and another in Greek and Hebrew. In fact, he probably could have done anything he wanted to do with his life. But he chose to serve the poor. In the 1940s, he founded a farm in America's Georgia and called it Koinonia Farm. It was a community for poor whites and poor blacks. And as you can well imagine, that idea didn't go over so well in the deep south of the 1940s. The town people tried everything to stop him. They tried boycotting his work. They slashed his workers' tires when they came to town over and over. For some 14 years, they did everything they could to try and stop him. Finally, in 1954, the Ku Klux Klan had had enough of Clarence Jordan, so they decided to get rid of him once and for all. They came one night with guns and torches and set fire to every building on Cornania Farm except... Clarence Jordan's home, which they riddled with bullets. Clarence Jordan recognized most of the voices of the Klansmen that night, including the local newspaper's reporter. The next day, that same reporter came out to see what remained of the farm. The rubble still smoldering and the land was scorched, but he found Clarence Jordan in the field, hoeing and planting. I heard the awful news, he said to Clarence Jordan, and I came out to do a story on the the tragedy of your farm closing. Dr. Jordan just kept on hoeing and planting. The reporter kept prodding and poking, trying to get a rise from this quietly determined man who seemed to be planting instead of packing his bags. So finally, the reporter said in a very haughty voice, well, Dr. Jordan, you got two of them PhDs and about 14 years into this farm, and there's nothing left of it all, just how successful you think you've been. Dr. Jordan stopped hoeing, turned to the reporter with his penetrating blue eyes and said quietly but firmly, about as successful as the cross. Sir, you don't understand us. What we are about is not success, but faithfulness. We're staying. Good day. Beginning that day, Clarence Jordan and his companions rebuilt Koinonia Farm, and it's my understanding it's still going strong to this very day. Now, it could be argued, certainly, that Dr. Jordan was successful But I think it could be argued even more strongly that he was faithful. I think it's important in a world so enamored with success that we, as the people of God at least, shift our focus from success to faithfulness. But the truth is, when it comes to the concept of faithfulness, no person, no group, no organization 
no movement can ever come close to the faithfulness of God. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're continuing a series that we were basing on my favorite verses. Last time, two weeks ago, before I was so rudely interrupted by my own brief vacation, we, we spoke from the Gospel of Luke about being sifted, and we've chosen the following text for the sermon as well as for our memory verses for this month. So we're going to talk about God's great faithfulness. We find ourselves in the book of Lamentations and the third chapter, beginning with verse 22. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, as we discuss God's great faithfulness. If you're able, I'll invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's word. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Thank you so much. You may be seated. God's great faithfulness. Allow me to set the stage for our study briefly. This is especially important given that as a church family, we don't typically hang out in the book of Lamentations. Suffice it to say, the prophet Jeremiah has long been connected to Lamentations with majority scholarship concluding that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, was in fact the author. There are five poems of lament contained within these five brief chapters. The background is that of sadness. Sadness and lament because Jerusalem had been sacked and the temple had been burned in 586 B.C. by the Babylonian army. And if we study the entire book, which we may very well do at some point, I'll take some more time to set the stage, suffice it to say, it's a book of lament. It's a book of sadness that demonstrates grieving over historical events, including the siege of Jerusalem, famine in the city, the flight of the Judean army, the burning of the temple, the breaching of the city wall, the exile of the people, the lack of help from other people who could have helped, as well as looting and so forth. And in the midst of all that, we find nestled in this third chapter of this great book, some of the words with the greatest, the greatest promise of hope ever recorded in scripture or anywhere else in the world for that matter. It's absolutely beautiful. So there's so much to appreciate about the book. Let me offer one such notion. If you are utilizing a study Bible, just as an example, you might notice that chapters 1 through 4 are comprised of an alphabetical acrostic. Each verse begins, and you'll see that if you're using a study Bible, it begins with a letter, a successive letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. When I was in seminary, I had a class on the Hebrew language, and at that time, I was an associate pastor with responsibilities in worship leadership. I was leading in worship like Travis leads us so well in worship, and I hadn't preached very much. Needless to say, the guys in class who were mostly preachers took that opportunity to kid me about me being there. What's a music guy doing taking Hebrew after all? I really liked the class. I didn't really care for the guys. 
That's a joke. I liked them too. Well, the guys early on were having trouble learning the Hebrew alphabet. And again, if you have a study Bible open, you'll likely see those letters on display within those first four chapters. So the guys had trouble memorizing the letters, and I did not. In fact, to this day, I remember, because for some strange reason, as a worship leader, the, the Hebrew alphabet fit to me very nicely within a great old hymn of our faith, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You guys familiar with that great hymn? You remember the tune. And so I explained that to the guys in the class. Anyway, it's all up there. When we were taking the test, all around the classroom, I heard these preachers going, hmm, 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 they got through it. I mentioned that because I needed to fill two minutes and I couldn't think of anything. No, I mentioned that because it's another opportunity to demonstrate the beautiful intricacies of how the scripture is put together. There's nothing coincidental in all of the Bible from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. As the third chapter begins, verse 1 begins with a statement, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. This is a personification of Jerusalem. The author is speaking and he's writing as if he is a man, which is Jerusalem. So previously, Jeremiah has written in this book of Lamentations of Jerusalem as an abandoned woman. And now Jerusalem is seen as a man who has seen affliction. So that's the brief background. Jeremiah is writing, he's lamenting, but he's going to offer people hope. And that's so vitally important. We're going to talk at length, in fact, about the subject of hope in the next week or two. But Jeremiah needed hope as well. Sometimes after a sermon, someone will say to me something like, that, that really was an encouragement to me or that touched my heart in some way. And, uh, and I always remind them every time that I need the truths of the sermon to resonate with me as much or more than they do. It hits all of us. Or as Dr. Joel Gregory said of Jeremiah's writing, Jeremiah needed the word he spoke more than anybody he spoke it to. And I can say with confidence that's usually the case and certainly today with the one who preaches. So what can we learn from Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, from these few verses? Four thoughts mainly. Number one, God's love is steadfast and never ceases. Chapter 3, verse 22, part A, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now, I know that we've just, we just read verse 22, but if you look back at verse 21, notice the word this, if you will. These next few verses are alluding to verse 21. They're a description of this, which Jeremiah mentions. Verses 22 through 24 comprise the this that Jeremiah is calling to mind. And he begins with the premise that God's love is steadfast and it never ceases. Of all the things in the world that ought to make us experience a sense of comfort and completeness in a world that's uncomfortable and incomplete, these words should do that. As Dr. John MacArthur notes, the Hebrew word used about 250 times in the Old Testament refers to God's gracious love. It is a comprehensive term that encompasses love, grace, mercy, goodness, forgiveness, truth, compassion, and faithfulness. Further, it's important to note again that Jeremiah is writing with the concept of Jerusalem having been personified. And bear in mind, Jerusalem is in the midst of some tremendous disarray due to the actions of the Babylonian army. 
And in that context, Jeremiah writes this beautiful, encouraging, positive sentence or two about the steadfast love of God never ceasing. Now, why is that such a big deal? It's a big deal because he's not writing. He's not writing when everything is going well in his world. I say it often and it bears repeating, which is why I say it often, that it's easy to love God and it's easy to serve God when you're healthy and when the bills are paid and there's still a little money left in the bank, when you don't have any prodigal children and you're at least liked by some people in your inner circle. It's easy then, right? But Jeremiah is writing when things are tough, when life is chaotic, when things are not peaceful and the future is uncertain. Now, for those of you who are into this sort of thing, and I know some of you are, there's a textual variant that is present here. This could be read as saying, because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we are not cut off. I won't belabor the point today because, because essentially, in either case, the focus is on the steadfastness of the love of God. Think about God's love. How absolutely wonderful the love of God is. In fact, I love the song about God's love, aptly titled, The Love of God. And it says, some of you know the song, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. I like that, but I really like the words from the last stanza. Could we with ink, this is so beautiful to me, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, (laughs) nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. What was the writer saying? We can't comprehend the vastness of the love of God. In other words, God's love is massive. It's steadfast. It never, never ceases. God so loved the world. Remember? As Adrian Rogers once quipped, a man will go to hell unsaved, but he will never go unloved. So God's love is steadfast and never ceases. Secondly, God's mercies are endless and new every morning. Verse 22, part B, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Scholars note that God's steadfast love and never failing mercies, as well as his faithfulness mentioned in the text, form a trilogy of his, of this covenant terms connected to God's name going all the way back to Exodus chapter 34. So the man here that is the personification of Jerusalem recalls the essential goodness of God's character. And we're not just talking about a God who is merciful from time to time. The writer is talking about a merciful God whose mercies are new every, every morning. That ought to bring comfort to our hearts, shouldn't it? Each day has its own mercies presented from the hand of God. Of God. When I was a little boy, my mother gave me a picture. It was really sort of a plaque to hang on my wall. I still have it at home. In fact, I have everything I've had since my childhood. <laughs> anyway, the little picture is of a tiny little animal, 
And it looks as if he's just awakening and his eyes are sleepy and his little legs and and feet, if you will, are apparently stretching to prepare to meet the day. And his little face has a look of contentment and anticipation. And the caption below it reads, each new day is a new delight. My mother wanted me to get that. Each new day is a new delight. Man, what a perspective. And the truth is, that's not just some random words relegated to a child's plaque. There's truth. There's truth contained therein. Even better than the words that are printed there are these words from Jeremiah who writes, His mercies, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. As difficult as things have become in Jeremiah's day, as apparent as judgment has been, God's covenant kindness was always present. Now you listen to me. As difficult as things have become today, as apparent as judgment is, God's kindness will always be present. God's mercies are endless and new every morning. Number three, God's faithfulness is great. Verse 23, part B, great is your faithfulness. This little phrase, great is your faithfulness, is not simply a synonymous thought. It's not just connected to the previous line. Rather, as one author notes, it's, it's an emphatic climax to the whole description of God's character. God's faithfulness is great because His love is steadfast and His mercies are never-ending. In this text, the man, that is the personification of Jerusalem, begins to directly address Yahweh. He's talking to God and he says to God, "'Great is your faithfulness.'" In the midst of having hope revived by recalling God's character, it turns his explanation, even as he's in the midst of lament, it turns his explanation to praise in the middle of his discourse. He cannot help but be grateful even in the midst of lamenting for the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Some of you guys are there right now. It's hard for you. You lament. You grieve, and yet you praise because you recognize something of the goodness of God. Even though things are bad, God is still good. One of my favorite biblical texts is found in Psalm 37, verse 25. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. God never forgets. God always sees. Now, why is that the case that the psalmist had never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread? Because of the faithfulness of God. That's why. It's a commonality that we share, right? You, me, your family, my family, in different ways, at different times. Let's face it, life has been hard. We've all been lied to lied about, talked to, talked about in ways that are not of God. I've said for years, and I stand by this statement, that gossip, gossip has done more harm to the church universal than all the sexual scandals of the clergy combined. Think about that next time you're tempted to share a morsel of half-truth or offer some kind of verbal innuendo in an attempt to make somebody else look bad. Every time, in fact, every time 
I hear about someone doing that, every time I hear about somebody saying, I wonder why she would, you fill in the blank, or did you hear that he, every time it reminds me of the voice of the devil who said, did God really say So people have talked about you, lied about you, been whatever to you. Listen carefully. I'm sorry. I am. I'm so sorry. Things haven't gone the way you've dreamed that they would with your life, and it's been hard. I'm really sorry. But listen, I was young, and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. People aren't always faithful, but God is. God's love is steadfast and never ceases. God's mercies are endless and new every morning. God's faithfulness is great. Number four, and we're finished. We can hope in God because God is enough. We can hope in God because God is enough. Amen? Now, I've been gone for two weeks. Amen? We can hope in God because God is enough. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Not anywhere else, not anybody else, not anything else. I will hope in him. The word portion is often used to describe someone's possessions or property. Here it's used metaphorically for a person's relationship to God. So it's conveying the concept that God, God is this man's inheritance. In other words, God and God alone is enough for him. Don't miss this. Despite the despair, despite the disorder, despite the destruction, the man could hope in God because God was enough. And listen, so can we because he still is. The prophet has been tempted to give in to bitter thoughts. You ever been there? But notice through these verses what occurs. Instead of just bemoaning his circumstances, rather than just giving in to despair, he demonstrates the possibility of trusting in God because even when life is hard, God's mercies are endless. God's faithfulness is great. Did you hear me? Even when life is hard, God's mercies are endless. God's faithfulness is great. Anybody need that word today? Me too. Me too. Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.